All right, so the last of my sessions here, um, before I head back to sunny Southern California, um, where I can wear shorts. <laughs> um, is the remnants counterattack on the dragon. And so after talking all the different things, and I mean, there's a lot more that obviously we could say on a lot of things we discussed, but I do want to, want to spend the last session really dealing with the counterattack. What, what is God's remnant church supposed to do now to go back against the dragon? And Matthew 16, uh, verse 18, it says, and I say all, does that say 17? Oh. You're reading it. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And I like the last part of this verse. last part of the verse says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, is a gate an offensive or a defensive weapon? Defensive. A gate is a defensive weapon. Understand that when you have Christ, and when you, as, the, as we as the remnant church, are doing what we're supposed to do, in fact, the defensive positions of the enemy will be broken down. See, a lot of times we're thinking, well, like, they're coming at us. A sword is an offensive weapon. That's the word. A gate is a defensive stronghold. And it says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates will not, of hell will not be able to stand against the God's true church. God's true church will run over the gates of hell. And a lot of times we read this almost exactly the opposite. It's like the gates of hell won't fall on you or something. Or the gates are made to protect other people. And the gates will not be able to stand when the truth is out. Ellen White says this. She says, with such an army of workers as our youth, rightly uh, trained, mightly, mightily furnished, how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How soon might the end come, the end of suffering and sorrow and sin? How soon in place of possession here, with, this, with, with, it, with its blight of sin and pain, our children might receive their inheritance, where the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever, where the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard. An army of youth. And so I say that one of the things that's happening to really counterattack what the enemy is doing is the fact that we have these powerful organizations and movements now coming into the remnant. Because there was a time when a lot of people were thinking the Seventh-day Adventist Church is, is flailing and being watered down and there's no hope for the Adventist Church. I don't believe that. Because if I believe that, then I believe that God isn't on his throne. And Eloi specifically talks about that the old ship Zion will reach its port. Don't jump off the ship. Amen. The ship will make it to port. The children of Israel messed up, stumbled, fell, fall. Christ was still born in the, lineage of, in the line of David. The church, with all of the problems it's had, even when you look at the great revivals of Europe, the great revivals that have swept through the United States, many, many times the gospel, the Holy Spirit has fallen and God's work goes, through, goes on mightily even in the most dire of circumstances. In fact, God does his best work when things seem the most impossible. Amen. That's why God is about to do a mighty thing, because many of us inside Adventism, now we're ready to actually trust God. See, there was a while when we thought church structure and the organization and the general conference and the divisions and the unions and our schools and our hospitals, that we had it all in place, that we could just cruise control into the second coming. 
Guess what we now realize as, as those of us who are Bible-believing Christians in the Adventist church? We now realize we need God. We need his Holy Spirit. And all of our devices that we have on earth, all of the possessions and wealth or, or whatever the Adventist church has, is not enough if the Holy Spirit, if the latter rain is not falling on God's people. So God is, is waiting for us to make that, 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 that realization clear, and then God will show up and work. But God is waiting for us to be prepared to do that. So GYC is one of those things. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm amazed at how many young people are here now. And, uh, you know, I, I did the West Coast Youth. Um, I always don't know what to say the YNC is for because they switched it. Youth, is it still Youth Conference? Is it Youth for Christ? He said Youth Rally. <laughs> Generation of Youth for Christ is what we call it here. But when it's WYC, what is it? Oh, so it is Youth Conference. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, so but when I did that one up at Weimar, again, it was a whole other group that is able to make it. I like the idea of having one big one every year and then little ones all over the place. I'm not a, at all a part of the planning of all of this, but I think that's brilliant because it'll get more people able to be exposed to it. Um, campus ministry and lead. I, I was with uh, Dr. Pippin up in Michigan. I guess that was this around summertime this year. These are powerful things that are going on on college campuses, secular, secular college campuses. Young people are becoming acquainted with the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this. And they do things like cook food and, and for students and, and, and give the food away while finals are going on just to become acquainted with them and sign people up for Bible study. It's powerful ministry and in the heart of the youth of the United States of America, uh, that organization. Avent Hope is at Loma Linda and I believe also possibly in Orlando now. Um, I don't know where else they might be, but at Loma Linda, this is a powerful ministry. It is so also because of Audioverse, which I have listed down here at the bottom. And I've gone around the world and run into people who say, oh, I listen to sermons on Audioverse, I've heard your sermons, and all over the globe. So there are parts of the world where people are disconnected from present truth. How powerful that technology, with all of the bad things we could talk about the technology has done, I think it's powerful that the very same technology is now allowing the three angels' messages to be delivered in stealth behind the lines where there never should be, would, could be otherwise be preached. Amen. I mean, I've been, I, I know that 3ABN gets into um, Muslim-dominated countries, and the people that I, I've watched when they've said that they get letters from some of these countries where people have given their lives to Christ because they have a satellite dish and they can watch 3ABN. So these are powerful. Um, some of our Adventist institutions are still doing great work. Um, our lifestyle centers, we, there is a tangible um, force that God can use with the remnant to get the work, the work finished. And I want to make sure that all of us need to find our place. And if it's not here, there are other ministries. I met a, uh, and when I was up at Leed, um, a gentleman from Australia, his brother's here somewhere, um, and he's doing this great work with the Muslim community. I, just profound stuff. And God has a ministry for all of us. He, Paul tells Timothy in the book 2 Timothy, he says, make full proof of your ministry. Do your ministry. Each one of us needs to have a ministry and be doing something. This isn't for Mark Finley and Doug Batchelor. And, I mean, those guys do the work God has commissioned them to do, but each one of us has work to do. Amen. This is not a, you know, this is not a, being an Adventist Christian and part of the remnant is not a spectator sport. You know what I mean? It's real easy to show up to the conferences and hang out and go home. And, but realistically, you should come here, have your batteries recharged, get new pieces of truth, or, or see deceptions a different way, or whatever it is God wants to show you. Make connections, network with other people, and go back home and be active in doing something tangible for God at home. 
That's how we're gonna, it, it, the, the, the battle of the end is going to be won bit by bit, piece by piece, square by square. It's not like one day one of us is going to get up and preach in front of Congress and the whole world converts over. And in fact, the Bible says the gospel is going to be preached into all the world as a witness. It really doesn't say how many people are going to hear it and believe it. So it needs to be preached. And there are a lot of ways to make sure that you do that. And, you know, I mean, I know, I know a guy who was a, um, one of the guys at our church. He was a Sunday uh, pastor. And he became an Adventist because one of our former pastors was into these um, electronic, old electronic football games. You, know, you put on it and thing vibrates and the players move around. And the pastor had that as a, habit, as a hobby. Kind of weird hobby for a grown man, I must admit. But he went to this thing and he met this guy and, and they began to talk and he gave him Bible studies and he became a, left his church in the Sunday church and became a Seventh-day Adventist. So, I mean, use, I mean, use the things, you, you know, the normal things in life that you do. I mean, I'm not going to tell you to go play, you know what I mean, <laughs> whatever that game is. But there are things that you do on your job specifically, um, exercising at the gym, Different things where you actually get a chance to talk to people. And God is expecting each of us to have a ministry and to do that. And one of the good things about stuff like audio verses, when I talk to people and they're having doctrinal debates or whatever, I can go find the, the sermons on here and send them the link to it. Have them download it on their iPod and they can listen to it. And that's the kind of stuff we need to do. We need to use these tools to our advantage. I find people who are sick, and a lot of times I'll say, you know, patients that have cancer, and I'll say, you know, I've, I've done this many times. I'll say, you know, there's Wildwood, there's Weimar, there are places you can go and you can get more natural treatment, still under the guidance of a physician, and not necessarily even have to give up whatever your physician here is saying, but if you want to go and retreat and try and get recover from this, whatever it is you're dealing with, that's the way to do it. And so, you know, we have to refer, we cannot, our ministries can't be in competition with each other. That's one of the fears sometimes I get because, you know, you can jockey for position and try and, you know, expand a ministry. And it's almost as if it, 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 we can't allow that to be exclusive or, or, or one over the other. All of the, we, need, we need to support all of these ministries and support all of this work that God is doing. That is one of the things. That's why I even said yesterday, I said we have to be careful of creating Adventist celebrities. The same danger that exists when a T.D. Jakes become a celebrity, same danger exists when we start elevating people inside our church to the rank of celebrity. Remember that the, the, the sin that God hates most is pride. And you start elevating people, by default, the spirit of the enemy is going to come and try and convince them that they're special, that they're more important than other people. So we have to make sure we don't do that. I mean, by default, there's some people who are obviously going to be prominent. That's not really the, the issue. It's making sure that we treat everybody the same, that we, we're careful not to really elevate people to lord one over the other. So we have to really be prayerful about that. I want to switch gears a little bit on this last one. And talk about being a good soldier. Um, Ellen White says, Satan is well aware that the weakest soul who abides in Christ is more than a match for the hosts of darkness. And that should he reveal himself openly, he would be met and resisted. Therefore, he seeks to draw away the soldiers of the cross from their strong fortification. While he lies in ambush with his forces ready to destroy all who venture upon his ground. Only in humble reliance upon God and obedience to all his commandments can we be secure. This is taken from the Great Controversy. I think it's page 508. It's probably on the next page. Um, yeah, page 508. He says, this is from Morris Venden, one, one of my favorite Adventist authors, actually, because of his, how he writes on righteousness by faith in his devotional Faith That Works, page 205. He says, if one who is abiding in Christ 
is more than a match for the powers of darkness. And if one who is abiding in Christ does not sin, 1 John 3, 6, and if one who abides in Christ does not even feel like sinning, but rather finds sin repulsive, <coughs> see the Great Controversy, page 508, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, page 92, and the Desire of Ages, page 688, then how could Satan manage to tempt us? If we're going to be a good soldier, and if we're in Christ, if we're abiding in Christ, and by abiding in Christ, we are, sin becomes repulsive to us, how then does Satan even get around attempting us? How does he pull it off? We talked a little bit about this yesterday. How is it that the devil is able to draw people out from abiding in Christ and have them be tempted? Because again, if the, if the devil comes, as the last quote said, if the devil comes directly at you and shows himself, you'll run. So the devil has to come up with a much more savvy way to attack the soldiers of the cross. Um, Jesus says, abide in me. These words, the steps to Christ, page 71 and 72, these words convey the idea of rest, stability, confidence. He, again, he invites, come unto me and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. The words of the psalmist express, express the same thought. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And Isaiah gives the assurance, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Psalms 37, 7. Isaiah 30, 15. This rest is not found in inactivity. That's important. For in the Savior's invitation, the promise of rest is united with the call to labor. Take my yoke upon you and you shall find rest. Isn't that deep? The rest that you get is the rest that you get from cooperating with God in labor. Take my yoke upon you and you shall find rest. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. The heart that rests most fully upon Christ will be the most earnest and active in labor for him. So we are to abide in Christ. We are to rest in Christ. And what Steps to Christ, page 71 and 72, give us are five things that Satan uses to pull us away from abiding in Christ. Five things. And this is how we're going to close my sessions so that we are better soldiers in the army of God. First thing Sister White says is that the pleasures of the world... Now, these obviously, as Morris Vendon comments, these have to be innocent pleasures. Because he can't come to you with, up front with pornography, because if you're in Christ, you're going to reject that. So what does he do? He comes at you with innocent things. I talked about my brother yesterday with sports. Well, sports in and of themselves, watching sports isn't sin. But what the devil will do is allure you away by you watching sports. He has to find something innocent. Eating food isn't sin. But you can get to the point where eating food becomes sin. So he finds the things. Talking to someone of the opposite sex isn't sin. But in the innocence of the initial way that the interaction starts, he can then lure you away by the, into the pleasures of the world. But he has to start with innocent pleasures. Except things that are not sin in order to, if you're abiding in Christ, to pull you away. The second thing is life's cares and perplexities and sorrows. Now, all of us have these. And I remember when my mother passed away, she, was the, she, was, um, she died of uh, multiple myeloma cancer in 2005, and I went all the way to Miami, and I was at her bedside and in the hospital room. She happened to be an administrator at the hospital, the, the cancer center that she died at. Um, and I went into the bathroom, and I can remember being angry with God. Here's a woman who served you, pathfinder leader, treasurer, single mother of three of us, raised us in the church, and Lord, this, is, this inglorious, painful way is the way that she dies? And I was angry with God on my knees, weeping, sobbing in the bathroom. I didn't even want her to see me crying, and angry at God. And I remember, and I tell this all the time, as if the Spirit said to me, she's been perfected. She's fine. You can trust her with me. 
The next face she will see is my face. And then I got a, a bit of peace out of the situation because I, I, I put it back into perspective. But again, this is how the devil lures you away. I was mad and angry at the perplexities and sorrows of life. And in that moment, I questioned God. And there are a lot of people that death in the family or they can't pay their bills or a bad marriage or a bad relationship is enough of life's cares, perplexities and sorrows to pull them away from God. To get them from abiding in Christ. This is one of the reasons why we have to stay prayed up, but we also need to be supportive of other people when they are going through these difficulties and challenges. And if people make a mistake and they fall in sin, the answer isn't really to jump on them and beat them up. The devil is dying for the church to be the people who've fallen. It's the best way he can get to get them out of Christ. So if someone falls, the Bible, Paul says, look, we should try and go and reinforce that person. Try and lift them up and bring them back. Now, if they're not repentant and they don't want to come back, that's a different story. But that person needs to be supported and brought back because the devil uses life's cares, perplexities, and sorrows. And I'll tell you, all of us are prone to make mistakes. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we all need each other's support because the devil will try and get you when tough things happen in your life. You lose a job, you lose a family member, whatever it is, he'll try and get this to pull you out from abiding in Christ. The third thing is the faults of others. Ellen White says that he, in Steps to Christ, he says that one of the things that will be used to get you from abiding in Christ is the faults of others. So something happens and you go to church and someone says something to you that upsets you. Someone does something to you that aggravates you, angers you. And you say, well, you know what, if, these church, if, this, if this is how these church people are going to act, I'm out of here. And I'm telling you, Advent Hope, as lovely as an organization as is in Loma Linda, I've met two or three disgruntled people really had nothing to do with Advent Hope, quite frankly, but they had bad experiences with people that might have attended Advent Hope, and they said, you know, I'm not going back. They allow the faults of other people to cause them to not abide in Christ. And that's all the devil is looking for. That's why you got to be careful how you rebuke people, how you go to people, you think people aren't living right. You got to be careful how you go, because if you say it wrong and you combine number two and number three, People are dying for an excuse to go back to number one. Right? People are just looking for a reason to jump out when they know the truth. They're looking for that loophole that lets them go back into the world. So we got to be careful, even when we know people aren't doing right, how we approach it. I, I remember seeing, remember, um, I think it was Norman. We were, at, we were in the cafeteria at Loma Linda, and a brother came in with some bizarre doctrine. I don't even say what it was. And, you know, me, I'm like jumping up and down. Man, are you crazy? What are you believing? And he's oh, so calm and he's just, okay, why would you believe that? And, you know, really went through it right. I, I learned something that day. How we approach people in those situations is critical because the, if we are looked at as having, if it's us who jumps on someone, sometimes people are just looking for a reason to leave. And also we have to be careful that we don't allow the fact that we know the devil shows up to church. In fact, if you're the devil, where would you send your people? The church. They're good at they doing them at the nightclub. He got all of those people already. Amen. Right? So he, believe me, he literally finds people who are disgruntled, unhappy, mischievous, or intentionally working for him. Literally, um, if, I remember reading another one of the books similar to A Trip Into the Supernatural, where they said that in order to be a member of the Church of Satan, you have to have simultaneous membership in a Christian church. In fact, in order to raise the priesthood in the, in the satanic church, they many times are going to become Catholic priests or pastors. 
so that they were able to destroy both places. The devil sends his people to church. So you got to be careful when you get mad at people in church and let them draw you out from abiding in Christ. Because that may be exactly what the devil was setting you up for. The fourth thing is your own faults and imperfections. And a lot of times when we make mistakes, when we fall, we, we say or do something we think we shouldn't be doing anymore, we will allow this to pull us from abiding in Christ. We'll start thinking, well, Christ can't really love us. But James says, listen, if you sin, we, don't, don't sin, he says, but if you sin, you have what? You have an advocate. So it's as if James is warning you don't, I mean, he really strongly is against sin. And if you abide in Christ, you shouldn't sin, James says. But James also says, look, if you fall, if you make that mistake, you still have an advocate. Just because you fell is not an excuse to stop abiding in Christ, not to go back into Christ. But a lot of times people make a mistake, they fall, it's public, people know about it, and they are, disappear. Poof. And we have to understand that we will all make our faults, we, we, we might all make mistakes. Prayerfully, God gives us victory over our sins and our habits and our addictions, and we grow in Christ. We grow out of the things we used to do. We don't do them anymore. Sin becomes repulsive to us as we fight the fight of faith. But if something happens, do not allow that to pull you out from abiding in Christ. Don't do it because his grace is sufficient. It took him a long time with Peter. Think about the patience Jesus had with Peter. Peter was a real knucklehead. A smart knucklehead. And he kept going, I mean, it, all the way to the cross it took for him to get Peter. And even after that, Jesus got, when he wanted him to preach to the Gentiles, he couldn't just send Peter to the Gentiles, could he? He had to have a whole vision and unclean animals got to get let down from heaven. And he got to go through this whole exercise to convince Peter to preach to the Gentiles, even though Jesus clearly from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah and his own teachings was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. So don't beat yourself up too bad, because when you do that, that's trouble. And obviously we're not trying to sin. So that shouldn't be that we're trying to sin. But we know that if something happens and you make a mistake, you don't give up on Christ because of it. That's exactly what Satan wants us to do. And the young people, there's, again, there's never been a time in Earth's history when, when the people of God have been more tempted or more temptable than today. First of all, Satan has more experience now than he had when he was tempting the apostles or he was when he was tempting the patriarchs. But more importantly, he has technology and ways to do things he never had before. The last one here, anxiety and fear as to whether we shall be saved. Anxiety and fear as to whether we shall be saved. Now, this is one of the things that really messes with a lot of Seventh-day Adventists. The idea of whether or not they're going to be saved. And, you know, we're not one of those denominations where people walk around and say, I'm saved. Are you saved? I'm saved. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sound like they got pulled out of water or something, right? But, a lot of people will lose, Satan will use this anxiety and this fear to pull a lot of people out from abiding in Christ. Because righteousness is by faith. The minute you doubt Christ's ability to save you, you affect your own righteousness. The just shall live by what? And I like what it says about Abraham in the book of Hebrew. It says, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
I submit to you that the devil is going to always try and pull on, pull on you. You're not going to be saved. There's no way you can be saved. Look at what you've done. Look at where you've been. Look at how, how you used to live your life and give you this anxiety and this affair. And as, if he can make you doubt God's ability to save you despite what you've done, you will cease abiding. And once you're not abiding, he can tempt you. But he's got to do one of these things first to get you from abiding. He's got to pull you out. And this is one of the strongest and best ways because this one says you may not have made a mistake. You may not have run into other crazy people messing with you. You might not have any major perplexities or even be entwined to go to the pleasure of the world. But every single one of us, as you read the Bible and you think about the second coming of Jesus Christ and you think about how soon it is and you think about the challenge of being a Christian in a dark and dismal world, all of us at some point think about when Jesus comes, will I be ready? I think about it. I think about where am I with God? Am I pleasing God with how I'm living my life? Satan will try and take that, turn it into doubt and mess up your abiding in Christ. The remnant church has to understand that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. You, don't, you have no way to save yourself. You overcome by the blood of the lamb, and the blood of the lamb is sufficient. The problem is we have been taught to believe that salvation is a static process. It is not a static process. Salvation is a dynamic process. Paul says, I die daily. See, what the other churches say is I'm saved. It's like, you know, I crossed this line. Once I cross this line, I can't go back over the line and be unsaved. So once they're saved, they believe they're always saved. That's why they run around saying, I'm saved, I'm saved. When in fact, the Bible says being saved is more like whether or not your, plug, your, your power cord is plugged in. As long as you keep your power cord plugged in, you've got power. You're saved. You pull your power cord out and you don't. So salvation really has more to do with your faith. Your faith is what plugs you into the power. So the, that's why the devil wants to give you anxiety and fear. I can tell you that God is working harder to save you than any force on this planet is working to have you not be saved. And the, again, it is the blood of Jesus Christ, as it says in Revelation chapter 12. It is the blood of Jesus Christ working on our behalf, despite all of our failures, faults, and all of the perplexities and sorrows, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. So he understands all of this. And I'm telling you, a lot of young people in the Adventist church, one of the things they've got to get is the power of God to save. If you can believe, Jesus said to that man with the, with the demoniac boy, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. No difference when it comes to salvation and abiding in Christ. So I challenge you to make sure, as Steps to Christ 71 and 72 really points this out, the five things Satan used to pull us away from abiding in Christ, that as you leave this place, you do not allow it. All that the dragon is going to throw at you, and all he's throwing at the church, the remnant church, in a big way, these are the types of things he's going to throw at you as an individual. And each of us has to make a decision that we're going to remain abiding in Christ. That's why Isaiah 1 and verse 18 says, Come now, let us reason together. It is a thinking process, a, a continual decision to stay connected to Christ. 
And you know that because if you look at a story like the story of Samson. Samson goes to Delilah four times. One, two, three, four. Four times before he finally tells her the secret. The Bible says he gets up like before. She shaved, they shave off his hair. He gets up like before, shakes himself off. Where are the Philistines? I'm ready to fight. The Bible says, but Samson did not know that the spirit of the Lord had left him. Powerful. The spirit of God, at that point, Samson had rejected God four straight times. Rejected obedience, rejected God's teaching four times. And finally God says, well, if you don't want me with you, Samson, I'm leaving. The spirit of the Lord left him. The most powerful thing about that story is that as Samson is down as a, as a blinded, eyeless slave grinding corn for the Philistines, he has a time to meditate and think about what he lost and who God is. And in that process, when Samson gets a chance and gets put back between the pillars and Samson prays for the spirit of the Lord to come back to him, what happens? It comes back. The spirit of God actually comes back to Samson and he, in the book of Hebrew, is listed among the faithful. If there's hope for Samson, there's hope for me. There's hope for you. And that's why you've got to have, you have to understand you don't have to doubt God's ability to save you. Because one of the things that happens when you're being raised, my being raised at Venice is, it almost seemed like impending doom that Jesus was coming. Because I felt I just wasn't right when I was growing up. And what I know now is that's not the way God wants it. Because all I've got to do is rest and lean on him. All I've got to do is turn it all over to him. And when I do that, and I believe, and I work on just believing him. In other words, I study his word. I pray. I fellowship. I do, I do ministry work. I go out into the community. All of the things that we're talking about here at GYC. All of a sudden, I, the fight of faith is being fought. God develops my faith, strengthens my faith. I abide even stronger in Christ. And that protects me from sin. Not just protects me from sin, the stain of sin, but sin as something I even do. Because when you're abiding in Christ, sin is deplorable to you. Amen? Amen. All right, let us pray to close this last session. Let me make sure I don't have any more slides. I don't think I do. Oh, maybe I do. Wait. Oh, I do. One last one. <coughs> Ellen White says, <coughs> just speaking to that point, prayer and effort, effort and prayer, will be the business of your life. You must pray as though the efficiency and praise were all due to God and labor as though the duty were all your own. That is a powerful, powerful uh, quote there. No man is safe for a day or an hour without prayer. He who does nothing but pray will soon cease to pray. Step to Christ, page 101. So on one hand, we, are, we have to pray, but I, this quote is really the quote that sums up what we're saying here about the remnant and the counterattack against the enemy as an individual soldier. And that is, we are supposed to do both the praying and believing, but then we're all supposed to do the labor as though it were all our own responsibility. So it's not one or the other as most people take it. It's the combination of faith with works and faith, more importantly, faith that works. Here's the last slide. Victory for the remnant. Strength for the redeemed, eternity for his children. The dragon is defeated already. 
And sometimes we forget that the devil is a defeated foe. He lost at Calvary. He lost even further when Jesus came out of the tomb. And every day, as Jesus is preparing to come back and get his people, the devil knows he's finished. And all we have to do to have power, the weakest saint on their knee is more powerful than the whole host of Satan. When we believe in Christ and in his redeeming power, the enemy has to flee. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for bringing us to GYC this year and for blessing us, Lord, with your truth and with your word. We thank you, Lord, because you have been better to us than we have been to ourselves. We know, Father God, that we are living in, the, in Earth's last edges of history. And that, Lord, we are on the very brink of eternity. So, Father God, strengthen your remnant people. We ask, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon this, young, this group of young people uh, and older people that are here for this conference this weekend. And that, Father God, when we leave this place, we won't leave this place the same way that we came. Let us leave with the assurance that the blood of Jesus Christ is, su is sufficient to save us. Also, Lord, let us leave with the faith to believe in Christ Jesus in all things. Then, Father God, bless the efforts that everyone has, Lord, all of the work that is being done in reaching others and health ministries this weekend and, and beyond, that, Lord God, that you would multiply our efforts, that you would bless our efforts so that we would win souls to your kingdom. And that, Father God, first and foremost, each of us as individuals would be one into your kingdom. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.